Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Really? Really gotta talk about this again? And the Jim Price? Really? You kidding me? All this stuff? Come on, man. 19 innings. Tigers were up 5 to nothing in this game yesterday. 5 nothing. You make me sick to my stomach to lose 6 to 5 in 19 innings. You wanna know how many pitches were thrown in this game? Take a wild damn guess. That was 629 pitchers. Just good God, just throw pitchers one after another after another. Use the whole damn bullpen. Both sides. Rick Porzolo at the end ends up getting the loss. This is just the craziest thing ever. In the audio, everything says it, and all this stuff I'm gonna end up playing for you. But the Tigers now are 63 and 52, and don't look now, everybody. The AL Central that the Tigers are supposed to just destroy and run away with—they're only a half game up now. So honestly, if it's full time to just you know press the panic button, just slam it, just keep hitting it over and over and over again, because the Staples button's not coming out there. It's not getting any easier for anybody. All right, the Tigers are putting themselves in a world of hurt right now. They're going against the Kansas City Royals. They've won seven in a row. What have the Tigers done since the All Star break? What have they done? They've just sucked it up the entire time. Their pitching staff, yes, they got David Price, everything, that's good. The trade is good, I have to recount that over and over again. But that's the only bit and piece of good news. The the single M&M out of the entire bag of the pencil candy has just been gone. All that's left is the one M&M, and yeah, that's great, but you need the rest of it to have that complete package, to have that nice, tasty experience, and you just don't have that because the Tigers aren't providing you anything. They're just a piece of junk team at home, and when they get on the road, yeah, they had a little bit better of a, a record, but at home, when you get 42,000 fans filling it up, I know they've been sucking on the road lately, but when they come home, they don't even bring that experience back to all the fans to show them why they should be a team that everybody was picking to make to the World Series, and now it's full-on time to hit that panic button. Before I get into all the other stuff that I want to talk about, let me just play this audio package that we got here for you, because I think it's relevant. Then we'll get into some of my take. Let me know what you think. This is uh, John Ott, Facebook.com slash Gunslinger at Twitter at John Ryan Ott. As always, let me know what you think about the Tigers, because that's what we're leading off in this segment. Let me play this audio clip here for you, and then we'll get into the rest of my take. It's all bad news right now for the Tigers. And basically everything has been going wrong. Kansas City Royals won seven in a row. You, your Tigers, couldn't score in 15 and two-thirds innings against Blue Jays relievers. And the offense is absolutely a much bigger problem than the bullpen ever was. Yes, I, I listen, listen, I understand everybody's mad at Joe Nathan. I understand that people are looking at him and saying that he shouldn't be on the team, but the offense, I think, much, much bigger problem. You find out today that Sanchez and Soria are both hurt. There's some nagging problem from Miguel Cabrera's core muscle situation. It's There is no good news. And all of us just acting as though like it was just a layup that they were going to make the playoffs. We'll see. I don't know how far this goes down. I really don't. It, anyone who thinks this is a World Series team is on drugs. Inept offense, despicable bullpen. Here's to hoping we sneak in as a wild card. Tigers are done. That's from BQ. Uh, Eric and Grand Blank, I never have been so frustrated with a Tigers team. Where is the sense of urgency? Absolutely disgusted. The, the headline, the screaming headline, underlined and, and exclamation point, is the offense. You must score, and I don't care what sport it is, 
You have to score points or runs. It doesn't matter. If you want to win any sport, you're going to have to score occasionally. And if you can't score for 15 and two-thirds innings against the relief pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays, then I don't know what to tell you. There should be some questions directed at Brad Ausmus. How is it when the bats go cold, every bat goes cold? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Usually a baseball team, somebody's going to be hot, somebody's going to be cold, and then everything kind of figures itself out. It's all like Hoth all of a sudden. Everywhere you look is nothing but snow when it comes to the bats. You know, there's unanimity to the struggling. Come on, dude, you got to wake up. You know, this team is done, man. I mean, you got nobody hitting the ball. The big guys are doing nothing. The last two wins were decided by uh, eighth and ninth batters. You can't, you can't rely on offense by, by the last two guys in the order every night. Yeah. I'm just, oh my God, I'm just so sick of this, man. It's, you know, if they're starting to get into any kind of trouble, they're, they're really going to struggle to win any games. Many games, month of August, 185. 185, so that's below 200. He, he hit 305 in July, but yeah. the last, so what, the last 10 days, he's hitting 185. This is Joe Nathan from yesterday. It's not going to ruin my day. It's not going to do anything like that. I'm going to still go have some dinner, go to sleep, and then wake up and do it again. We play 162 of these things, and uh, I know the fans sometimes make it seem like if we're not perfect as bullpen guys, we're not doing our job. But uh, trust me, it's not that easy, and we're not robots. And I'm not going to go home and hang myself because of one game. Uh, we're still in first place, and I'm going to come back here and, and try and do it again tomorrow. So at the precipice of all that, I said I would play in the opening the Tigers' audio as a whole. So you got 97 won the ticket. As soon as that game was over, Eric Thomas was the lead of the show. He gave us some of his opening thoughts. And then you got some of the caller thoughts that I put in there. And then Tim Jetsky was talking about Miguel Cabrera hitting 185 in the month of August. And then at the end, you get Joe Nathan. Once again, everybody's booing this guy, including myself, and for good reason, because of all the saves that he's blown and just his awful ERA since he's been here. I don't know what the reason is for the Tigers getting these damn closes and bringing them in there. They just suck completely by the time they come in here. But getting real sick and tired of that stuff. But now, on top of all of that, not only would Joe Nathan with those comments once again that everybody kind of you know, puts it in the same situation as Prince Fielder, Maybe I could back off the bullpen a little bit because now another problem has reared its ugly head and it's the damn offense. So now as soon as the bullpen starts to, you know, starts to get together a little bit, then the offense springs back into action in all the wrong ways. You got 15 and two-thirds of scoreless innings after chasing out Mark Burley for four and... My God, I mean, what, what are you supposed to do with this team, honestly? You have the best starting rotation in all of baseball. Talked about it last week, and it's, if, certainly if you don't think it's the best, and it's definitely top three. I know the bullpen has been bad, but it, it's been better lately, and now you're talking about all of these other problems. And with Anibal Sanchez, I just saw yesterday that Sanchez is likely to miss four weeks. So now everybody's sitting there calling out about Sanchez injury prone and what a mistake that was. And dude, he's only making $85 million compared to everybody else in this rotation. Anibal Sanchez is also a good pickup. So I can't get too critical of that, but I'm, I'm, I'm just real sick of this now, honestly. I, I really am. Cause the Tigers, this should already be to the point where it should be over with already. Okay. And now it's only a half a game and there's just a, a big reason to get concerned. So let's get through this one at a time as I play this audio for you. Are you guys standing on the panic button? That was what Eric Thomas was talking about yesterday. And I, you know what? I have to say this going forward because I don't know if you guys know this, but the Tigers are playing a home at home there at Pittsburgh right now. They're going to be, be, uh, 
starting the ball game pretty soon here. I think 7.08 was uh, the start time. It's 7.10 right now. By the time you get this audio, you're going to get it hopefully after this game because I'm going to have to go watch the damn baseball game and upload this stuff again. So I'll probably be thinking some of the same things as I'm giving this to you right now. But Tigers are playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's also in the hunt right now for the uh, wild card in the National League. I know Andrew McCutcheon went down, but they're still battling through all of their injuries, and they're making it when St. Louis and Milwaukee are already just playing really well in, the, in that division. Pittsburgh is doing their best to stay in there, so they're very commendable because if you think if the Tigers were in any other situation in any other division, and I know maybe... There's a sense of playing to your level of competition, but my God, if you think the Tigers were in any other division, they'd be like 15 games out of the division right now. It's just pathetic. Like I said, one thing at a time, though. Are you standing on the panic button, yes or no? Facebook.com slash TBGunslinger, Twitter at John Ryan on. The Royals. Talking about the Royals, they've won seven games in a row. They just laid the smack down on the San Francisco Giants and... I think they're playing the Oakland Athletics tonight, so maybe that's the only Tigers saving grace is that Oakland is going to want to try to get that best record because the Angels have been right on their heels. And the Angels, I believe, have like a seven and a half game lead in the first wild card, so the Angels are making the playoffs. So if the Tigers, if the Tigers only got the wild card, they would be playing against the Angels in the first round. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. The Royals. Have won seven in a row. They're the hottest team in baseball. And once again, now Billy Butler's finally found his way for the biggest waste of space that he is with all of his fat. He's found a way to hit some home runs. And that spells bad news for the Tigers. And then you got Wade Davis, you got Herrera, you got Holland that has like a million saves. Their bullpen's untouchable. And now the Tigers have to worry about that stuff. The Tigers, I believe, only have six games left against the Royals this season. So that's not an awful lot. And that really puts the pressure on you after this Pittsburgh series. I believe the Tigers are going to go ahead and play against the uh, AL Central again. I think the only two outside series that they have, I'm, this may be a little bit too far ahead, but I believe it's only against the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants then in September. And the rest of it is AL Central opponents. And the Tigers have a couple of doubleheaders to make up along the way as well. So the Tigers are going to have a lot of work to do in their own damn division, and they better get it done. Because you think about the White Sox, they've been a dumpster fire. The Minnesota Twins have been equally as bad. The Kansas City Royals have actually played well. And they always wondered when they're going to get a chance to figure out when to start to hit the damn ball, and they've done that because their bullpen is always and always will carry them throughout the season. Their bullpen is absolutely nasty. It's the real deal. So what are the Tigers going to do? And like I said, the injuries, everything is piled up. Now you're talking about Anibal Sanchez. You already knew about Joel Hanrahan. You're picking him up off of the injury list pretty much. He hasn't really done anything yet, and he... Probably won't do that since. So Sanchez out for four weeks. Miguel Cabrera, he hadn't really had a chance to get himself right after the core muscle situation from last year when he was still hitting home runs off Mariano Rivera off one foot. He didn't do well in the playoffs. He was hurt. All that stuff going on. And then just the multitude of injuries from all of that stuff. The, the Tigers have had to deal with all of that all year. And I know all teams have to deal with that stuff, but it's especially hit the Tigers hard. 
especially when you think about it having a new manager and a new outlook and all this stuff it's not helping the Tigers but in the same instance when you play in the AL Central you would think with as much payroll with the Victor Martinez the Ian Kinsler the Torrey Hunter all that the rest of that stuff in your team they would be able to help at least a little bit to get this team especially with the pitching rotation that they have and that starting rotation that you would think that the Tigers would be in a better spot than they are, but they are just sitting only a half a game ahead. And tonight, as the Tigers go up against the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals go up against the Oakland Athletics, tonight could be the night that once again the Kansas City Royals take the lead in the AL Central, and it's absolutely ridiculous. All of this stuff at the beginning of the year, as we're still going at this one at a time, nearing the end of the Tigers audio package that I played for you, Brad Ausmus. Can we finally talk about Brad Ausmus now? It's been more than the half of the season. When the when Tigers first started, I believe they were what fourth in the AL Central in stolen bases. It was a different philosophy, and it was very very welcome considering Jim Leland just built that softball team with Dave Dombrowski, and they were waiting on the big fly the whole time. Get that big fly to score them runs, and you know it was a little bit different just to see the outlook change to see the Tigers actually play baseball because for God's sakes this is baseball you don't always have to play station to station you should steal bases you should stretch singles into doubles doubles into triples put pressure on people for God's sake and the Tigers did not do that last season Andy Dirks led the Tigers last season with seven stolen bases seven and now Rajay Davis I think at like 50-something for the Toronto Blue Jays last year. He's got like 27, so that's a hell of a lot more than the Tigers had last year in terms of one player and all the steals. Rajay Davis probably had more steals, the 50 steals, than the Tigers had all of last season. I'm pretty sure you can bank on that. But what happened to the running philosophy? Is it just because that Victor Martinez and then J.D. Martinez who came in, that came in like a flash in the pan, just started hitting like crazy before the All-Star break? Is that the reason why the Tigers don't run? Is the, is the reason why the Tigers don't run is because they don't have the running personnel to be able to do so? Or when they get guys on base, the guys that are on base with the Miguel Cabreras and the Victor Martinez, these are the two most professional hitters that you have on the team, and granted there was injuries with Miguel Cabrera, but is the reason they don't run because these two guys can only play station-to-station baseball and they're slower than molasses? And I'm not sitting there bagging on Miguel Cabrera, but that's just the product of what you have. The two hitters that you got there are slow, and maybe that's the reason why the Tigers can't sit there and run and all of that because they're going to be running into outs. And it's just disappointing because the change in philosophy was good, and you know it was nice to have that there, and now it seems like that stuff just changed all for the worse, back to the way that it used to be, and that's not good because the Tigers need to be able to put pressure on people to score runs in a consistent basis because as Eric Thomas just said, and I can't say it better myself, you have to be able to score runs to win the game no matter what sport it is. Points, runs, you get the job done, that's how you finish it off, and the Tigers just can't consistently do that when they don't get good swings, when they don't run, when they're chasing bad pitches, when they're playing bad defense, with all the credit to Rajay Davis in the world for as, as bad as people think that he is on defense, and at times it's been shown that he's not the greatest defender, he's really played his ass off in center field since Austin Jackson 
has left in the trade. Dude's been making diving catch after diving catch, and I'm not just so certain whether or not that's just a thing that he wants to do to show off and say, Toronto, why the hell did you get rid of me? But that's just one of the things that's in the back of my mind, because Rajay has stepped his game up, but some of these Tigers have not, or they've fallen off a little bit. And it's just a shame that when somebody goes cold, everybody goes cold, because that's what Eric Thomas is talking about. That's something that I think about, too. Is is that something with Brad Ausmus? I know he doesn't have the skins on the wall to be able to yell at his players and stuff like Jim Leland did. And maybe, you know, maybe that's just something that's overblown. But it just certainly seems like something that's been going on lately. And it's not good. And to cap it all off, to have the cherry on top of the crap Sunday, you got Joe Nathan's comments. And once again, everybody's going to get on Joe Nathan, and probably for good reason, saying he's not going to go home and hang himself if the team loses a game like this, because he's just going to go home and have dinner, and it'll all be funny games and stuff like that. And everybody equates that to Prince Fielder, because that wound is just too fresh. And with Joe Nathan not being up to snuff, because, you know, lately he's been good, and then he's been bad. And it's just been off and on, off and on. He started off real bad, he got better, he was real bad, he's been pretty good, and now he's bad again. So... It's just a roller coaster ride with all these closers that the Tigers have always had, and it's just something to get used to over and over again. But with these Joe Nathan comments, I think the wound is just a little bit too fresh, guys. And I, I understand the hatred for all of that, and I understand, at least within the first five or six minutes of listening to that 971 broadcast, we'll be calling in and actually making sense. You know, you only get that for the first about ten minutes, and then after that, you just hear the same things over and over again. But I hear you guys out there. I understand the frustration, and I wish I could tell you something different. But this is the same damn thing with the Tigers every year. When they have a chance to totally just destroy the division, they play right to the level, and they just sneak past them a little bit just to get enough to get in the playoffs, just to do enough to get in there. That's what the Tigers' mantra, because that's certainly what they do. Tigers... I think the only team that they've played well against in the AL Central is the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals last time took three out of four from the Tigers, but the Tigers did get a couple of sweeps in there, and they actually had the winning record over the Royals. But the White Sox, it's about 500 baseball. The Cleveland Indians, we swept the Indians. They swept us. They swept us again. That's about 500 baseball. I think we got a couple other ones in there. We're going to have to play a doubleheader. Minnesota Twins, about 500 baseball. Not good. So Tigers did not play well against the AL Central. The only thing that they have going against them is the Royals, and they only play them six more times. So like I mentioned, I believe it only is the Yankees and then the San Francisco Giants in September. And those are the only other two outside series that you got again. So the Tigers really got to make hay in that AL Central at the end of September. And you would think that would be a good thing. But the way that this Tigers offense is constructed, the way that they've been playing as a whole... It's just not good, and it makes you sick to your stomach, and it makes you wonder if this team at the beginning of the season that was once again put in position to win a World Series, if they're even going to make the playoffs, and that's just really damn sad. When we come back in from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tony Stewart situation, settle things down a little bit, as it was a bad situation, as Tony Stewart and Kevin Ward Jr., Kevin Ward lost his life, there is some shades of gray. I know everybody wants black and white, but I'll let you know why the whole situation isn't clear, and it might not be clear for any time soon. Stick back in from the break. John Ott, Sports Day in the D. It ain't hard to tell. Anthrax boys if they come through the mail. 
Sports Day in the D. John out here with you. It is time to talk about the situation that is Tony Stewart and Kevin Ward Jr. Now, there's a few things when I thought about this stuff yesterday as I was gathering some information, whether or not I even wanted to bring up this topic, because I wanted to look at a few things first to see if I shared the same opinions, the same thoughts and moral values of this situation and some of the other people. Some of the articles I read, some of the stuff I've listened to in 97 on the ticket, Eric Thomas had talked about it, and then I uh, listened to Dan Labatard and Colin Cowherd earlier today, and they all share the same sentiments, whether or not it's ESPN and some of the stuff that you agree with. We'll get to that on a further segment, because I also want to talk about that. But now, the Tony Stewart situation. With all the stuff that I've went through and saw and read, I think it's time to bring up this situation because I think everybody shares these same sentiments. If you're on one side or you're on the other, I encourage you in this segment to just listen to what you saw. If you saw the video, I'm not going to play any of the audio, any of the video. I'll leave that for yourself if you want to witness that because that's a whole other experience that you can't unwatch. And you feel for Kevin Ward's family and all of that. If you're on Tony Stewart's side in all of this, I think there's shades of gray. And if you're on Kevin Ward's side of this, I think there's some shades of gray. And I think we should need to talk about this. So, for everybody that knows, Tony Stewart is a professional NASCAR driver. He's a professional driver, period. I am not a person that follows NASCAR a lot, nor do I know a lot about driving and all the other funny cars and all these other things and this dirt track and all of that so I am not an expert I'm just telling you how I feel about it so don't throw me under the bus in terms of all of that because if you want to get your expertise from somebody go listen to somebody else this is just my humble opinion professional race car drivers Tony Stewart I think in this situation with Kevin Moore Jr first talk about how the situation happened Tony Stewart hit Kevin Ward Jr. into the wall. Kevin Ward Jr. was very, very upset. In the video, you see that he comes out there, he gets very animated. He comes out of his car during a caution lap to gesture in the middle of the road to Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart clips Kevin Ward Jr. He dies on impact. 20-year-old lost his life. The question that was posed on 97 on the ticket and from me, facebook.com slash tbugunslinger at Twitter at John Reinot. I think this is the same question that was asked yesterday. It should be the same question that should be asked today. Should Tony Stewart face some sort of criminal prosecution, some negligence, something, anything, because Kevin Moore Jr. lost his life? Now, there's a few things that I need to talk about in terms of all of that. So, let's just reiterate all of this and get through this quickly here. Tony Stewart's well known for being a hothead. And there's some arguments to be made in the Kevin Ward situation as well. But first with Tony Stewart, he's known for being a hothead. Throwing helmets at Matt Kenseth, wanting to fight people, all that. Throwing the water balls in that situation with one of the other ones. Hell, the only other time that I even talked NASCAR or racing also involved Tony Stewart on the show, and I played the audio for you at the race at Fontana. So, all that stuff was going on with Joey Logano. And now, here comes this situation. So, is Tony Stewart, should he face some negligence, some criminal prosecution, anything? 
Now, what's to be said with Kevin Moore Jr., I think, is a very valid point. When you get in an accident, and there's a caution flag, anything, first of all, when you get in an accident, sometimes you're not in the right state of mind. And maybe it would be best, and maybe Kevin Moore Jr. would have lost his life, maybe it would have been best if he would have just stayed in the damn car to begin with, to not go out there and confront Tony Stewart. I'm not throwing any innocence around in terms of Tony Stewart and being able to say that he, you know, it sounds like from the video, as some of the other cars braked, it sounded like Tony revved his engine, and it sounded like he tried to scare the pants off of this kid, he clipped him, and killed him on impact. That's what it sounds like, that's what you see from the video. I'm not pointing blame for anything else, but I'm just calling it as I see it. If I was Kevin Moore Jr., I wouldn't have got out of the vehicle. Now, there's some certain things, because you think about it in the video, he goes over there, gestures to Tony Stewart. I think he wanted to go flip him off, give him the big F you. He, want, he wanted to tell him what was up. And Tony Stewart probably saw that, and he wanted to you know, pay a lesson to this kid. To not kill him, but to pit him in a way where he could just do some damage to make him think about that. And like I'm not going to talk about intent, because only Tony, only Tony Stewart knows what he did in that situation. I'll leave that up to you, whether or not you want to make that judgment. I'll leave that up to you whether or not you want to watch that video. But this entire situation sounds completely crazy. It sounds a little fishy, and there is a little bit of gray area. Because in the sense of it, it was on a dirt track. It didn't seem like it was very well lit. It certainly seems like Kevin Ward came out there, he was wearing all black in a poorly lit track, and, you know, certain things could happen. And it certainly seems like Tony Stewart, knowing his reputation, and that would certainly go against him in that instance, certainly seems like he might have wanted to give this kid a lesson. And I don't know. There, there's a lot of gray area in that, in that sense. And there's been a lot of outrage in terms of some of the stuff that I read, that there was a lot of people defending Tony Stewart, and they were saying they have to be able to rev the engine to be able to turn these cars the way that you need to, because that's just the way that it is. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I'm thinking that a lot of these cars, from what I've heard, a lot of them were breaking, this guy wasn't. Would everybody be defending Tony Stewart if he was some other driver? I, I don't know. The whole culture of sports, I think, is something that we can also talk about in this situation. And it's, it's really sad, honestly, because this kid should never have lost his life. And I think, in a sense that it may be the culture of sports that maybe had him lose his life. And let me let me reiterate that a little bit because okay, in the NFL you play through concussion, you play through injury. That's that's just the way that it is. In the NBA you don't do so as much. In baseball with a hundred and sixty two game season, you definitely don't do that as much. If you're getting injured, you feel a tweak, you feel anything, you're sitting down. That, that's that's not going to happen here. But NASCAR, in NASCAR, if you watch any of that stuff, and there's some accidents, these guys get heated. They get heated big time. They get out of their car, and they even walk into the middle of the racetrack to tell other race drivers what's up. In this instance, I think the culture of NASCAR and Kevin Ward's hot temper and the hot tempers of other drivers 
ultimately cost this kid his life, in my opinion. Because the culture of NASCAR is going out there and giving your thoughts and advice to the person that clipped you. You're not very happy about that, and you're looking for a fight. You want to throw hands. That stuff's going to happen. I think that that's part of the culture in NASCAR. I could be completely wrong, but that's just something that I think about all the time in terms of that. I think about this is what goes on. There's no rule in NASCAR that tells you that as soon as you come out, you get in an accident, that you're not allowed to go out in the middle of the road and start throwing hands. I think in that video, in the sense of the one thing that if... You're going to defend Tony Stewart. I think that there was a couple cars in that video. Yeah, I watched the video several times, and I know that I can't unwatch it, but I had to do that in sake of being able to talk about this topic. I think in that video, there are a few cars that barely missed Kevin Ward. Honestly. I, d I do think that there could be something going on in Tony Stewart's mind with his past and all that. I'm not going to reiterate the blame and say that's exactly what happened, but I think that that's possible intent. But I think NASCAR and the culture and Kevin Ward going out in the middle is a little bit at fault here because the culture of NASCAR, I think, is what got this kid in trouble. Him wanting to go out there and throw hands... That's just the way that it happens. It was dumb decisions at a dumb time. Yes, there's lots of questions. There's questions about the track. There's questions about intent. There's questions about thought processes that only Kevin Ward would know, that he takes with him, that only Tony Stewart would know. I understand all of that, but this is a discussion that needs to be made. Do these rules need to be changed in NASCAR where these guys are not allowed to go out there in the middle of the road in a dangerous thing? I know it's caution, but you're still going 35, 40 miles an hour, aren't you, in a caution? So there's still possibilities of you being able to get hit. So I think that whole situation needs to be done with, and some of these rules need to be changed. So nothing like this ever happens again, because races... I, I didn't want to play all the, the stuff that uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and uh, Jimmy Johnson had to say, because Jimmy Johnson was pretty much just saying, we'll wait till Tony Stewart makes a comment. And then Dale Earnhardt Jr. said that people die on racetracks all the time, and you don't hear about any of that stuff. And he had some other things that I don't think were relevant to the situation I think people wanted to hear. So I chose to leave those comments out. I think some rules need to be changed, and I definitely think that there's some gray area. But I also think that criminal prosecution, all this stuff, I think some of it should be there. I don't think Tony Stewart should be off the hook. Tony Stewart killed Kevin Ward Jr. I don't know if I want to go out there and say that exactly, but that's what happened. I can't dispute that's what happened. I can't talk about intent and all of that, but... Something happened in that regard, and that is bad, and I think some rules need to be changed, and I think there are some questions in gray area, and I ultimately feel that there's going to be some kind of negligence, something that has to be on there, because he can't just get away with the entire thing. Talking about the whole regard of what it is in the NFL, that if you smoke pot, you get more games than if you beat the crap out of your, your wife, and Ray Rice in that situation, if Tony Stewart is able to walk out of this, walk away with nothing going on against him, I think that that's completely wrong. And I think NASCAR needs to figure out how to address this situation so it never happens again. That's my thoughts on the whole situation. What do you think? Facebook.com slash TBU Gunslinger at Twitter at John Ryan Ott.
I don't encourage you to go out there and watch the video, but if you want more clarification, this stuff is definitely on there for you to see. Tony Stewart has a checkered past. It cost the life of Kevin Moore Jr. and a lot of situations that are full of shades of gray. When you want black and white, when you want winners and losers, this is what Colin Cowherd talked about, it, and I completely agree with him. The public wants a situation of black and, black and white, guilt or no guilt. You're not going to find that necessarily in this situation. This is a process that's going to take time, and it's going to have to be figured out, and hopefully the right verdict comes from under it, but we're not going to know, because I hope, in the grand scheme of things, that everything is taken into consideration, and NASCAR cleans this whole mess up, because they need to make some rule changes, and they need to make them now. When we come back in from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about ESPN, and then I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Last of Us review. So stick back into the break. We're going to talk about a little bit of culture change in ESPN and why I think it's a little bit wrong. John Ott, Sports Day in the D. Sports Day in the D, John on here back with you. Let's get into a little bit here. It's ESPN in the terms of being able to talk about a few things that I think wouldn't normally happen back on ESPN, and now they happen now. And what I mean is just a couple of examples. I know they weren't permanent job firings, but where do you stand on the issue of political correctness? When it comes to your job and the things that you do, I know that's a very loaded question. You can get at me, John, at Facebook.com slash TVGunsling or at Twitter at John Ryan Out. Let me know what you think. How politically correct are you? And can you stand all this politically correct stuff? Because it happens all the time. In terms of journalism and communication, the two fields that I'm bringing to you pretty much every single day of my life, being PC is very... Pro quo. You gotta do it, and you gotta do it. You gotta get an A-plus rating by the Better Business Bureau. Otherwise, you're losing your damn job. And there's a couple situations that ESPN, I think, even overstepped its boundaries and fired these guys, or gave them a suspension, I should say, for two days or more, when I don't even think they deserve the situation. Maybe one of them, more so than the other, and I will discuss. A lot of you guys in this first instance, I know you know who Stephen A. Smith is. Okay? He's the, the basketball terminology guy. He's the guy that goes, this is egregious. This is appalling. Like, he always does this stuff. He always has a lot to say. He has a show on ESPN New York. I'm not sure if he still has it. With all that, there was some controversy swirling in that situation. And quite honestly, probably not all that justified. He does have a lot to say. Sometimes he doesn't say the greatest things. And this is a situation where you get in trouble. Now, Stephen A. Smith was talking about the Ray Rice situation with Skip Bayless on ESPN First Take. He tried to make a mention that women should be held a little bit more accountable in terms of the Ray Rice situation, that they shouldn't let the situation escalate, therefore get a beating by Ray Rice. He didn't really say it how he should have said it. He was pretty much talking about elements of provocation, that 
the lady let on the beating that Ray Rice was giving her. Even though he said, even though he said that it should never happen and all these guys are disgusting and they should be criminally prosecuted, they should go to jail and all that stuff, he wasn't able to explain himself clearly and got a week off of ESPN first take. I think that that situation is a little bit more fair. And I also think in terms of the situation where you're working in the same network where Michelle Beadle works in ESPN Sports Nation. She was a former co-host. Now she's back on there now. And she made a mention on Twitter that watching First Take was awful and that she's now aware that she can be provoked by delivering her own beating. That's what she said on Twitter. I think Stephen A. Smith wasn't able to correctly say what he wanted to say in the terms of that, and he got himself a suspension. I think Stephen A. Smith wouldn't have got a suspension if he would have just said, I think both parties, men and women, should try to prevail and have cool heads in all cases and should just walk away. He wouldn't have got suspended if he would have said something like that, which is what he should have said. He got all of his words all out of contortion, and he was talking about elements of provocation, and he got himself in trouble. Therefore, a weak suspension, I don't think, is all bad. In terms of all of that, I think the situation is where it's supposed to be. And the terms of where I think about a situation where there was no suspension needed and where ESPN is getting a little ridiculous was in terms of Dan Lebetard. You know, his show, Highly Questionable, that's on 4 p.m. He's got his own radio show. He's got his pop, his uh, Poppy Gonzalo. And then I think Bamani Jones is also on that show with Dan Lebetard. I think Dan Lebetard's pretty funny, hit or miss, whether or not. Colin Cowherd, all these other guys, you either like him or you hate him. It's just what it is on ESPN. Dan Lebetard's show is pretty funny. There's a sign with LeBron James, and they're trying to make fun of LeBron James a little bit because uh, Dan Lebetard's father, Gonzalo, is really upset that LeBron left Miami and he's going back to Cleveland. He liked LeBron there. He liked Miami, all that. He is a very Puerto Rican man, very in the symbolism of all of that. And he's going to share his thoughts and opinions, okay? And he really doesn't like the fact that LeBron went over there into Cleveland. So he mentioned, and they got a sign, they got everything paid for, the LeBron's two, two rings, you're welcome, LeBron, from Miami. And it was just a sign. I thought it was pretty funny. And I know that a lot of Miami fans are going to be a little bit concerned, but let's not be too critical, because Cleveland fans in that same regard were burning LeBron's jersey, okay? And ESPN decided to suspend Dan Lombard for two days on highly questionable show on a Thursday and Friday to close out the week because they didn't approve of the sign. Let's be honest, ESPN should change their name to easily suspending people now. ESPN, because it's absolutely ridiculous. They, they are really kissing LeBron James' behind. Half their stories or more, up to 65, 70% of their stories about LeBron James. So to get rid of Dan Lovatard for a couple days to say, think about what you did, I think is absolutely preposterous. And there was no reason at all that Dan Lovatard should have been off the show for those couple of days. It was just a joke. My God, this politically correctness stuff, all of this, isn't it just a little bit overblown, honestly? Isn't it just a little bit too crazy? Do you agree with me at all? John Ott, Facebook.com, slash Gunslinger, Twitter, at John Ott. I'm not saying go all Edith 
and uh, Archie, you're all in the family with all that stuff was just blatantly racist back in what the 60s or 70s, whatever the hell it was. I'm not saying go back to all those times. And I'm not saying anything about racism. I didn't even mention race in terms of the topic. Because you could in the instance of Stephen A. Smith. Because people were doing that on the message boards. But that's just not the way you go about things. All of that stuff should never be considered. But in the instance of this argument, which Stephen A. Smith, I agree with. I should have got two days. But with Dan Levitard, honestly, for a sign? Are you kidding me, ESPN? I think these things in this instance of political correctness and all that, people are just a little bit too sensitive about things. And I think that might also go into the generation of always wanting to be commended, always wanting to get some sort of thanks for just doing a job or doing something. It's just a shame, and that's the world that we live in now. Because pretty much you're out there busting your butt, and you're expecting to be handed things, and then this issue of this... This is just the way society is heading, and honestly, it's heading into a dark, dark place, man. It's 2014. You guys need to step up and wake up a little bit and smell the roses and just work for what you got and be happy that you got it and don't expect anything out of it and just laugh a little bit for once in your life, for God's sake. Domestic violence is not funny in the terms of the Stephen A. Smith issue. I get that with the two days, but with Dan Levitard and a sign, thank you, you're welcome, LeBron, from Miami, and you suspend the guy for two days? That's flat out telling me that you're flat out kissing LeBron James's butt. And that's just sad. ESPN, come on now. Get, get, get everything together here, okay, please? Because that's just a little bit ridiculous. Come back in from the break. Let's talk a little bit about The Last of Us remastered review that I got posted up on YouTube. And then I'll get you with some quick hits coming on next week's show. Because I've already heard that the uh, Tigers going against Pittsburgh, Justin Verlander's already been pulled out of the first inning, and it's not good. So the lead is going to be over tonight. Come back from the break for The Last of Us Remastered Review. Stick around. Sports Day in the D. John on here back with you August 11, 2014. Let's get into it a little bit. The Last of Us Remastered on PlayStation 4. The review. I will give you the YouTube link at the bottom. You can check that out. I gave you the uh, video review courtesy of Share Factory on the PlayStation 4. I'll talk a little bit about it, though. In terms of everything else that that game provides, you talked a little bit about the story and Joel and Ellie trying to get those two from place to place to find the Fireflies to figure out just what the hell is going on. I'm not going to sit here and spoil anything for you because I believe that all of it should be played by the player and enjoyed because... You should have the experience of being able to enjoy this game for the first time because you're going to show emotion. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to enjoy everything in it, and it's going to be a great experience. The one thing i got to commend Last of Us on in terms of all of that, and like I said, I mentioned this in the video review, is Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog, makers of Jack and Dexter, the Uncharted series, and now Last of Us, they make some great games, some great AAA titles, some great single-player games. Something that should be commended now in this day and age. In this gaming instance of Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, now into the next gen of Xbox One, don't even get me started on that, and the PlayStation 4, a lot of this stuff 
just seems to be geared in the way of, I want it, I want it now, if it doesn't have any multiplayer element, then please get it the hell away from me. And I think that that's wrong, because I think some of this stuff stifles the creativity of what you would normally find in a single player element, but in The Last of Us, it brings you back to the days of having a great single player game, when it's just you, the console, the controller, and the game, and you as the player get to experience everything you could ever ask for by yourself. A great experience, a great story, great graphics, great gameplay, you sympathize with the characters, everything is in front of you, and everything is great. And for that, I think Last of Us should be commended. And the terms of the greatest games that I've ever played, when I talk about Last of Us Remastered, if you never had a chance to experience it before, or you were an Xbox 360 convert, now's the time to do it. Because now it's only 50 bucks, it's got all the DLC included, it goes from 720p to 1080p, and it goes from 30 to 60 frames per second, so all the action is smooth, and it never fails you. It's a great experience. In terms of everything we talk about in the greatest games ever, this game is on a top 10 list, and it deserves to be. I pair it to my favorite games in terms of everything I talk about in the video, in terms of the things that I think are in common. The Final Fantasy VII, the Dragon Quest VIII, the Persona series, and Resident Evil, the Metal Gear Solid series, uh, Parasite Eve, just like all my favorite games, all of that stuff. They all deserve to be in the same category in terms of Last of Us, and Last of Us brings an element from all of those games that I mentioned. Because you get the scare tactics, you do get the chance of having scare tactics with limited ammo, which is nice. You get a chance of not just being able to shoot the hell out of everything you see. You get a chance to empathize with characters, have great story, have great graphics, gameplay, everything that you could possibly want in terms of a single player experience is there. You don't buy Last of Us Remastered for multiplayer, but it's there, and the experiences are there. I talk about the game modes and everything else. It's there, and what's there is a good package, but it's not something that's going to keep you coming back for more. You're going to want to play the single player, and the single player is what's going to draw you in. It also has Left Behind as well, which is the Ellie's backstory before the game starts. So don't you dare play Left Behind before you play Last of Us, otherwise you just ruin the whole experience for yourself. That being said, Last of Us, I can't give it a higher recommendation than I give to you now. A 10 out of 10, in terms of all of that. It's the, one of the best single-player experiences you'll ever have in your life. In terms of other video game experiences, the stuff that I heard this week. Also what I want to talk about. So check out the Last of Us Remastered video review. I'll leave the link for you below. Resident Evil. The original Resident Evil, yes, the one that came out in 1995, then the director's cut in 96, then the director's cut DualShock version for PS1, then the GameCube remake, and now now. So this is the fifth iteration of Resident Evil. To be honest, you think it may be the second because you have the director's cut and then the GameCube version, but still, another edition of Resident Evil 1. And you could ask me, John, are you excited to get this game on next-gen consoles early January 2015 or Christmas 
2014 for last gen. Last gen in 720p, next gen on Xbox One and PS4 in 1080p. Are you excited at all to play Resident Evil? And I can say I will happily throw down the $35 that I assume the game is going to be as a downloadable only, no disc, which I'm completely assuming way ahead of time, but I think that's just the way it's going to be that I will throw down to get this game, and I will do it happily. My only disappointment is when I heard this game was being announced, I thought it was going to be another rendition where it was built from the ground up using next-generation graphics, or at least using PlayStation 3 360 graphics built in HD. Rather, what it's doing is taking the GameCube port, I believe, from 2002. My God, that's been a long time already. The original came out in 97 that it's taking the GameCube port, upping the resolution, so you no longer do you have to play the game on a high-definition TV on your GameCube where it doesn't look as good. And quite frankly, that game looks so good on a crappy HDTV with a standard connection, it's still sad, but now you get to play it in perfect HD with no lag, 1080p, and your life will be good if you're a next-gen owner, 720p, for the last-gen consoles. So you finally get to play it in high def, and it is the GameCube remake. The one thing, if you've never played Resident Evil before, you're in for an experience. In terms of the GameCube remake, if you never played Resident Evil because of the tank-style controls and you just couldn't get into it, they're going to be changing the control scheme to make it more similar to be able to move from both analog sticks. So all of you crybabies out there that aren't Resident Evil purists will be able to enjoy the game too. I'm sorry I had to say that, but that's just the way it is. If you can't get used to the tank controls, then you just don't know survival horror gameplay. I'm sorry, man. I just have to tell you. In terms of all of that, the GameCube version is fantastic. It's one of the best remakes, reimaginings of Resident Evil you could ever ask for. It's going to be a day one purchase for me when it comes out on these next-gen consoles. I only have one thing to add. For the love of God, can you please add Resident Evil 2, 3, and get these in HD, please? Please? Because Resident Evil 2 is my favorite Resident Evil of everything in the series. Leon S. Kennedy and Claire Redfield kicking ass over two stories, double discs, Switching the experiences from game A to game B with different events, and my god, it was just a good game. And yeah, the main gameplay is probably only three hours long for each story, but you could replay it multiple times. And you had the battle mode on the DualShock version, because I didn't play, and I didn't purchase, the original Resident Evil first. I beat Resident Evil 2, the DualShock version. Then I beat Resident Evil 1, DualShock version, which was the first one that I purchased. Then I purchased Resident Evil 3, and luckily there was no DualShock version for that because DualShock, by that time, I believe 2000, was already out. So you didn't have to worry about 17 editions of Resident Evil 3. But Resident Evil 2 is one of my favorite games of all time, and it really, really, really needs to be remade in high definition and built from the ground up because that would just be the cherry on top of the greatest Sunday, and it's not a crap Sunday. It's one of the most beautiful Sundays you've ever seen with any toppings, hot fudge, peanuts, 
cookies, I don't whatever the hell you want on it. That's what Resident Evil 2 would be for me. It would be absolutely incredible. Please bring that back, Capcom, because if you're already cashing in Resident Evil for the fifth time, the least you could do was bring back Resident Evil 2 and 3, but mainly 2. Let's start with 2. Bring that back and let me enjoy it. And let me not also forget that Resident Evil also came out on the Sega Saturn, so my god, there was another version. Can't forget about the Sega Saturn. I love that system too. So, Resident Evil Remake, the GameCube version coming in full HD glory on the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about Last of Us Remastered on the PlayStation 4? You can get at me, facebook.com slash tbugunsinger, at Twitter, at John Ryan Ott. What'd you think of all that? I want to close the show for you a little bit in terms of what we got coming on next show. When Resident Evil does come out, that doesn't come out until January, I will be making a lot of videos for then having a video review. So for all of you last-gen players that will get that by Christmas and wondering where the hell my review is, I'm not going to play until I get it on the PlayStation 4, so you're going to have to wait a little bit. I will make a review, and I will plan on doing a Let's Play. Upcoming game releases, though, in terms of all of this. Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition on the Xbox, PlayStation 3, Xbox One, PlayStation 4. I know the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 version will be shipping out on August 19th, next Tuesday. I don't know if that's going to be the same date for the last-gen consoles, but next Tuesday I will be starting to play Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition. Subsequently, around that time, I will also be starting backup work. So maybe, maybe not, I will be able to get the review done to you a couple weeks after that of what I want to, but stay tuned for some videos. I will definitely do some gameplay videos, and I will get a video review of Diablo 3 Ultimate Evil Edition up on YouTube and for you guys to be able to watch and talk about it so you can listen to it. In terms of upcoming game releases and electronic arts and the way that they nickel and dime you and all the stuff that has been going on with Xbox One and whether or not they change the DRM protection or whether or not they let you play a game over your friend's house without it being locked over after an hour if you don't have internet connection. A lot of the stuff that wasn't for gamers. EA and Xbox, Microsoft, they're Clearly in cohorts with one another. They teamed up to make the EA Access Pass. And that's going to be coming to you. In terms of also having NHL 15 and Destiny coming out on September 9th on the Tuesday. But NHL 15. Should I or should I get this game? Should I, should I not? Because I don't know. Because the demo is not out yet. Hopefully that will come out at least two weeks before prior release. Maybe the Madden demo is going to come out Tuesday. Should I or should I not get Madden? not really a fan of football. But I can't stand FIFA is a decent game. I will give it that. But they can't make an NBA game to save their life. Madden is the same every year. I love hockey. But I don't like being nickel and dimed for all the boosts. Yeah, I try to earn as many of them as I can, and I used to be able to do that to you early before they changed the requirements where you couldn't just simulate a game through the third period, get the boosts, and play the season. You could easily do that if you simulated the game and get all the boosts probably in about 10 hours of real time, which is not so bad because, quite frankly, it saves you about a whole other 50 bucks. 
which is a good deal. But now that EA has changed all that, and they still make it hard as hell to get all these boosts, and you can get them if you're incredibly, incredibly patient, but it's not like FIFA where you get that workable checklist. I think EA in the NHL series needs to work about the unlockable checklists like FIFA, get them by actually playing the game, and not penalize me if I want to go ahead and simulate and get the experience for all that still to get the damn boost, because I don't want to pay $45 to get the boost on top of... 50 bucks of getting, or 60 bucks of getting the game, excuse me. So at least $85, $90 of wholesale money will be going toward Electronic Arts in a company which I may like FIFA, and I think the hockey series of all of them, of one, the hockey series is probably the one they care most about. But I really don't want to support Electronic Arts in terms of all of them, having them be three years in a row of being the worst game company of the year. I really don't want to support them anymore. Should I even get this game? Have you guys even heard of any gameplay videos, seen anything to support NHL? Because i got to tell you, man, I don't know, and I'm on the fence in terms of hockey. I know everybody else in my club would always play that stuff, but I'm getting real sick at EA. And in terms of this access pass and all that stuff, and I heard them all say, man... I wish we would have went to Xbox because you want an EA Access Pass. These guys just don't understand gaming, man. EA is just one of the worst companies, period. I hope that they would still make games for the PlayStation 4, but quite honestly, I wouldn't be sad if they didn't. And if anybody else had to go make moves because of that, I can't continue to support EA when they really don't care about gamers. They care about pinching their pockets just like Microsoft does. Yeah, you can say all you want about PlayStation 4 being able to have internet access, to have to play these games and pay for it now, but at least they gave you free games. Microsoft was way too late to jump on the bandwagon. That whole experience and everything else is good now. So, I don't know about the Xbox One and all of that and EA. It pretty much seems like they're sleeping together, and I'm on the fence for NHL 15. I'll let you know what happens when the demo comes out in the upcoming show, and I'll let you know how I feel about it then and whether you guys should be playing it. But I'm always going to have those legitimate concerns in the back of my mind, but I may just have to bite the bullet on this NHL game because that's the one that my friends play. But still, don't feel that good about it. This is John Ott signing off for Sports and the D. Next week, as we promised, probably talking about the Tigers being out of first place and more bad news. And... uh Hopefully some first impressions of Diablo. Like I said, I'll be starting work and all of that. So hopefully I can get it to you when I get it to you and quickly and uh, very efficiently. And hopefully you guys will enjoy it. So John Ott, Sports and the D signing off. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Have fun. And enjoy the final days of summer before school starts. Yeah, I know it sucks, everybody, but make sure you enjoy it. Peace out, guys.